Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Nicolay Wealth Management Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Wilhelms, and with me is Mike Steppe. Mike, a lot of exciting stuff to talk about today. Can you kick us off by talking about the Fed decision on rates and what's next? Sure. The Fed sees that inflation continues to be sticky. Uh, Core CPI, which excludes food and energy, increased at a 5.3% pace on a year-over-year basis. And the problems that we've talked about in these sessions before, shelter costs remain high, wages remain high, shelter um, prices have increased at an 8% pace over the past 12 months. So the Fed sees this, and they're in sort of an unusual situation. Americans have continued spending, even against the backdrop of higher prices and higher interest rates. What's giving consumers confidence is the vibrant labor market, and they still have some pent-up savings. So those two things have helped them. We can see spending sort of decelerating, but it still remains positive. So for the Fed, they see that they need to make a, a you know, they're, they're trying to dampen down inflation. So they look at this, and at this meeting, they left rates unchanged, but after the meeting, they went out of their way to sort of their commentary provided a clear signal that their intention is to raise rates depending on the data one or two more times before reaching their, their sort of target level. The fight, there's a couple of implications out of that. First of all, there's about a, in this morning, there's about a 70% probability that they'll increase by 25 basis points at the next FOMC meeting on July 26th. So probably a little bit higher interest rates over the next six weeks. Second, Fed funds, our futures are projecting that we're gonna see rates continue to be above 5% for the rest of this year and in the next year. So bottom line, overnight rates, likely to stay above 5% for the next eight months. That's different when you go back a month ago, people were anticipating that those rates would drift down as the economy softened. The key thing here is that the economy hasn't softened very much. So we still have decent economic growth that's going on. That's, uh, I like that perspective. And it's kind of fun to think back to what we were talking about three, four months ago about our kind of thoughts related to where rates would go and that they might stay up a little longer in the short run than what the market was indicating. So it's, it's fun to have a track record related to some of those things. Would you give us, Mike, an update more broadly on financial markets over the last few weeks? Sure. It's especially nice to do it in a time when the markets are going well. So uh, the early June results have been really strong. S&P up about 6%, Russell 2000 up about 8%, IFA index, the international developed up about six and emerging markets up about seven. What's interesting is that if you go back a couple of weeks ago, the last time we did this, uh, you had the magnificent seven stocks doing really well and the rest of the market sort of flat. Now, when you look at it, the S&P 500 equal weighted index is up over 6%. So 
So we're showing, showing a broadening of strength. The value stocks have kicked in and rallied. Banks doing well. The One of the things that I watch is that this is for the banking geeks out there. The KBW in bank index is up over 8% in June. So we've had some really good numbers in June. Uh, we started with sort of a euphoria around the AI stocks, uh, but that is broadened out. So equity market doing pretty well. Yields in the fixed income have pushed up. Two-year rates uh, are 470 plus. Five-year rates around 4%. And 10-year rates about 375. So yield curve remains inverted by about 100 basis points. And year-to-date performance in bonds has been modest. Uh, aggregate index up 2.4, intermediate up 2, corporate bonds up a little over 3, and high yield about 5%. So decent numbers. The dollar has weakened modestly off a couple of percent in the early part of June, and oil prices are relatively low. So we've had fairly stable but positive markets. You sound like great things to talk about. We have <laughs> equities are. across the board up, widening breadth of returns on equities. Um, the fixed income is, I mean, you say it's modest, but hey, if you get two, two and a half percent over the first half of the year and do the same in the second, it starts to feel pretty good, especially with where yields are. Then you think oil prices not too high and dollar softening a little bit so manufacturing and exports can do okay. It sounds like you're just saying everything looks great, Mike. What are we looking oh, for? It does. It's a, it's a pretty positive view. I love it. And that goes in line with some of the things you talked about related to the Fed um, signaling to keep rates up. Do you, do you see or expect inflation pressure to um, maybe not abate as quickly as the Fed was hoping? hoping? Yes, inflation has stayed higher longer. It's coming down, but modestly. And the, the two big parts of that are shelter costs and wages. And we've talked about that a bunch. But part of it is also, we just have stronger consumer spending and that keep co keeps costs up. Example, you're seeing travel booming. This is for the airlines. This is sort of one of the best weeks they've had in years. And when people are traveling, yes, they're, they're booking airline flights, they're booking hotels, um, they're, they're going out to eat in restaurants. There's just more spending that's going on. I know, at least in the Steffi family, it seems like we are. So when you look at this, um, that, that puts some upward pressure because people are spending and you're not gonna get deep. If people, if businesses have enough business that's just naturally coming in the door, they don't have to cut prices to try to get more business. So it's it's just, you know, things are looking pretty good. When you look at the forecasts for inflation for this year, the consensus out there is 4.1%. And next year, the consensus is 2.6%. And I find it interesting what the range, and most of the people for next year, most of the analysts, are between 2.3% and 3% inflation next year. That's pretty good. I mean, the Fed, it's above the Fed target. The Fed target is 2%, but it's modestly above that. That's not, those aren't horrible numbers. We could sort of live with those kind of numbers if that, if it comes in like that. I, I like the forecasting. I'm not sure how much, uh, 
stock I'm going to put into inflation forecasts, knowing the recent past forecasting <laughs> ability of the market and what the uh, at least perceived standard deviations of potential inflation can be. Uh, but I'll still enjoy that it's signaling we'll get back to a world where the Fed doesn't have to be tightening persistently. I want to rewind us in a, uh, for just a moment related to some of the equity comments you had earlier related to the magnific Magnificent 7 and the breadth of returns or the equal weighted um, index returning at about 6%. And then another one you said related to value performing better now. So I have a loaded question for you. That first half of what does it mean the Magnificent Seven and the uh, returns moving wider to the uh, uh, equal weighted? And then also when, when you say value doing well, is that a product of uh, inflation showing up? And so maybe growth just not doing as well. So relatively um, speaking, value is doing better. Or is it just that there's a rotation back because that magnificent seven were growth oriented and values just catching up from that? I think it's a bit of both when, when you look at it. Uh, it, it. At the end of May, when you looked at the equity market, you sort of saw this, yeah, the index was up, but it was because of these seven stocks and the rest of the market was really flat for the year. Now what we've seen is that go up in, and the rest of the market has gone up, which is positive. Value stocks, I think, are going up primarily because bank stocks are going up. And so that helps us. And so you get that, that lift there. Thank you. And I see we just got a special cameo appearance from our buddy, Adam Longley, as we're recording. So Adam, when you are uh, up and running, will you jump in and say hi and give us maybe some comments related to your outlook for the real estate markets and maybe more specifically too with publicly traded REITs? Maybe you expand the question as well to get into the space of how a publicly traded REIT might perform or trade relative to just privately owned real estate. Sure, happy to. Thanks, guys. Uh, real estate's been really interesting, um, and it's been in the news a lot as well. It's it's had a, a tough go. Um, returns been negative here. There's been some headwinds, right? Interest rates going up is uh, a big headwind. Fear of a recession and what that means to to these assets. You know, there's concern about all the vacancy and, and call it office space, and, and what happens when the unemployment rate increases and maybe people start to get laid off. Then what happens? You know, there's concerns about bank lending and, and the debt out there that needs to be refinanced. So clearly, significant amount of headwinds. Um, and, you, and you see that reflected in the stock. Uh, publicly traded real estate is down significantly. You know, things that are even um, maybe positioned worse, you know, think about malls, retail, office spaces is down even more, um, as, as you would expect. But I, I think if you take a step back and, and think about um, publicly traded real estate is down a lot. Privately held real estate is, is down uh, not nearly as much. Um, we're at now at a point where if, if a piece of real estate is publicly traded, it's about 20% cheaper than if it's privately held. Um, you know, that's, that's a, a, a lot by historical standards. So I would expect that gap would, would close one way or the other. Um, if you think about what, maybe what the future looks like. Um, if interest rates have peaked or we're getting to a point where maybe they peak and, and, and they're going to maybe start to decline, 
that's a much better environment for for real estate. Um, historically, after rates peak, the return on on publicly traded REITs twelve months later is is up in the high teens, and and that's about five or six percentage points better than than the stock market. So if if rates start to decline, um, that'll be a positive. If we are in an, in an environment where inflation is higher than average, that's also a good um, environment for for publicly traded real estate. You know, in that environment, again, you get about five percentage points per year more on a real estate than you than you do on a publicly traded stocks. I think it makes sense. You know, if you think about inflation, part of that is is shelter, right? Whether it's um, rents. Um, or things like that, and some of these leases have uh, rent accelerators that are tied to CPI. So, as well as just the, the value of these assets appreciates with in this environment as well. So, it, it's been a it's been a tough year or so, but we think the outlook is is getting um, more positive. Can you comment, Adam, on how the bank refinances could affect? the valuations or maybe returns and then liquidity of some of these real estate projects and maybe more specifically as especially in the office space and maybe retail as the tenancy or the occupancy rates are a lot lower than they were when they might have taken out the debt five years ago what happens yeah i I think it's as simple as banks used to have a lot of money meaning a lot of people had big balances and their savings and, and, and checkings and the economy was doing really well. And so banks were eager to lend that out and, and capture that spread. Now we're in an environment where um, there's less liquidity and, and banks are being more selective and, and they're looking at their portfolio of loans and, and thinking about how much exposure do they want to real estate. And so when these projects and these these things need to get refinanced. One, it's going to be the rates are going to roll into a higher rate environment. Um, maybe the fundamentals of the the underlying projects aren't as good as they were a couple of years ago, and banks are going to be more reluctant to lend as well. And, and that means that these might have to go to private lenders, and, and again, it pay even a higher rate. I appreciate the perspective there, Adam. It's always kind of good to get under the hood, Mike. When we talk about uh, exposures like that, interest rates, uh, it makes me think of duration in a fixed income portfolio. Really, obviously, bonds are like the lender side in real estate. How do you look right now at positioning the duration or the maturity of the loans that you're buying? I, I think you start with, am I getting paid for this? And when you look at that and you say, on a five-year treasury note, five-year maturity treasury note, you're getting a yield of around 4%. Now you got to pay taxes on that. So that at 35% takes 1.4%. So you're left with 2.6% return on that. When you look at that, that's basically keeping up with inflation. So if inflation drifts closer to the 2% target, there'll be a real return on it. And that's something in fixed income investing we haven't seen in three or four years. So that part feels positive. Uh, that you know we're starting at least you're you're breaking even you're maintaining your purchasing power and you have a chance of earning a positive real return. So if I'm looking at buying a five-year treasury note, I feel good about that. If you could buy and you're in a tax bracket where municipals make sense to you, you could get a, a attractive municipal bond which will have a little well have a higher yield 
And there I'd go out into the five to maybe eight year area. So I think there's opportunities there that are very attractive. So I sort of think five to eight years is now sort of the place to be. We have been a lot shorter than that in our portfolios, and we're in the process of lengthening those out because they make sense to be out a little bit longer now, maturity-wise. I love it. appreciate the perspective. Adam, I'm coming back to you with a topic that I enjoy, which is related to AI, maybe more specifically to the chip manufacturers of GPU, um, or you could broaden it out to just people in the AI space. And it made me think maybe next time I'm going to come up with these questions using ChatGPT, see if we can stump you smart guys. But Adam, can you give your, us your thoughts on uh, the AI space right now? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's clearly still early days um, and, and trying to still assess the potential, but just at a real high level, um, it, it could be accretive to G GDP overall, you know, the overall economy, um, as well as earnings for, for all companies could, could benefit. And then specifically, uh, the market's trying to sift through and identify what specific companies um, are set to benefit. And you've seen some of the some of the stocks do phenomenal, double in value or, or more. Um, you know, NVIDIA is kind of the, the poster child of, of AI, and it's really interesting. And it, I think the, the, um, the excitement really accelerated when they reported earnings and um, gave guidance that potentially they're going to earn, you know, 75% more than they, they thought they were, you know, based on some of these um, tailwinds. So it's um, early days, but um, clearly it's it's pushed the whole sector up um, to the point where the NASDAQ and, and, and growth stocks have, have massively outperformed the rest of the market. Um, but I think it is important to note that there are some fundamentals backing up some of the move, um, but clearly there's some excitement built in as well. And, and you've seen some multiple appreciation. Oh, it's always an interesting time in our industry. Mike, back to you. And this might be my last question here for you guys before we start to wrap up related to the Treasury and the significant issuance of T-bills that we've seen related to the debt ceiling. I guess in a way it was good to get past the debt ceiling conversation, but the aftermath is what you get to explain to us. Well, post-debt ceiling debate, the big thing out of that that came out of that was that Treasury was going to have to issue over the next uh, two months uh, a substantial amount of Treasury bills. And you've seen about half of that get priced into the market, I think. When you when you look this morning, uh, three-month Treasury bills were yielding 527. Six-month Treasury bills were yielding 536. This is against an overnight rate of 508. So there's that's that's kind of a premium yield that you're getting. That could go a bit higher in here as as the market has to absorb this added supply, but I think most of it's priced in to the market right now. I appreciate the perspective on it. And it uh, can you comment on how the treasury issuance, uh, I guess that reduces the money supply if I follow that correctly, because dollars come out of circulation to buy the treasuries, how that might affect the Fed's policy of maybe putting rate hikes on pause or accelerating them in the future? Well, it sure adds some uncertainty to the Fed. The Fed's got plenty of uncertainty. The, you know, when you think about it, they're, they're sort of struggling with inflation forecasting. They haven't done a model job of that over the last 
two years. So you start with that. The, the banking crisis with the bank failures of a couple of non-traditional banking models, that added some uncertainty as to what's going to happen on the loan side. And then third, um, this Treasury bill issuance, there's plenty of uncertainty that the Fed's sort of trying to deal with. So I think this added a, a modest amount to the already set of questions that are out there. Beautiful. Well, I only have one more in the set of questions for you and Adam. Adam, can you give us your parting thoughts of what's going on in the world? Yeah, you know, there's been some headlines that the, the market is near or has started a, a new bull market cycle, meaning we're around 20% off, off the lows. And if you think about when when we're at those lows, all the pessimism that was out there and, um, you know, maybe the, the pressures the to maybe get out of the market and i think you know those that that stayed and and thought about the long term have have been rewarded and i I think it's important at times like that to kind of reflect back and 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 kind of see the you know the process wins and and the positive outcome we've seen that is an excellent point thinking out back over the last year mike what are your parting thoughts i think now's a good time to look at your fixed income holdings and see what your durations are. It really paid to be shorter when rates were lower. Now you wanna be a little longer and you wanna make sure that that uh, you're doing that in your, in your account. I like it. Thank you guys. Thank you to the audience for joining us and we'll see you again next time. <music>